0: Theology of the Body Institute, this is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners.
0: Welcome to another episode. Wherever you're tuning in from, we're so happy to be with you for this next, I don't know, 40 minutes or so. That's how we (laughs) kind of roll around here. That's right.
1: We'll see. By the time you are listening, it will have a time that's on it, right. but as we're recording we it, we just know. don't know. So that's part of the adventure. We're jumping in. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of adventure, my husband is an adventurer. I am kind of a homebody, the complementary difference. Christopher also just loves to get out in nature, and I also love nature when the temperature's right.
0: <laughs> we went for a walk the other day. It was...
1: It was a cold day. Icy. Yeah,
0: it was. Frigid. But I got you a special gift.
1: Exactly. That's what I was going to tell our listeners about, that um, Christopher got me a gift because he knows I don't like to be cold and the winter can be hard for me. And any of you who struggle with seasonal depression or hate coldness feel like you can never get warm in the winter, I'm with you. I'm sorry. Let's all go to Florida or Mexico. Not only do you
0: get cold, but you got a cold. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. It's true. My nose is a little stuffy.
0: Do you think that came from our icy walk the other day? No. no, no. Oh, anyway, what was the gift?
1: Oh, yes. So Christopher found that there is such a thing as, okay, you may have heard of like an electric blanket or a heated mattress pad. Heated long johns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He got Battery me these. Battery
0: powered. That's right. Unless you think Wendy's walking around all day with a long extension cord. <laughs> no.
1: So this was such a thing thoughtful gift. He wants to relieve my suffering. is so dear. Um, And I hadn't had an opportunity to try them out yet. I mean, I have an opportunity. I didn't feel the need until I started taking, I mentioned in the the last podcast that I went to the Mary course. Well, the classroom where the course was being taught was chilly. And when you're just sitting still as a student, you start to just feel really cold.
0: You know what I learned about why the room is chilly why remember on the final day somebody had came in and said oh it's chilly in here and turned the heat up and two people fainted oh that's why I just learned that myself that's why they keep it chilly that's why they yeah I learned that from from Jen oh I've been teaching there with Jen for years and I didn't realize why it's typically kind of kept at a chilly temperature so we don't faint so people don't faint (laughs) what the heck
1: That is interesting. Well, I was so excited after I was chilly in the first session to go put on my long johns and turn them on. And it was so funny because I told a couple of the students in the class. Turn on your long johns. (laughs) I showed them (laughs) because like at the bottom of the sleeve, there's a little button to push, adjust your temperature. You know, it can be Three different levels of heat, and I just showed it to a couple of my friends that were in the class. They laughed. I just looked like the bionic woman or something with my, like, (laughs) it lights in different colors and everything. It's my little secret, but it was so cozy, so thank you, my love. You're welcome.
0: Hey, I just had a fun idea. Yeah. I just sang a few notes. Turn on your long johns. If there's anybody out there who knows what song, what melody that song is from, it's different lyrics. I changed the lyrics. Anybody out there knows, do you know the song, Wendy? No. Okay, I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to give it away to our listeners. But if anybody out there knows what song, those three notes, are they three notes? Da, da 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 If you know what that melody goes to, send us the name of the song. And if you get it, the first person to get it right, I will send you a signed copy of our brand new book. Uh, it's Carol Voitiwa who became Pope John Paul II, in case you didn't know that. He has a retreat that he gave to artists in 1962. We published it in English for the very first time. Uh, We got Vatican permission to do it. We have extended commentary in there from yours truly, and some reflections from some other theologians and artists to unpack. The retreat is called God is Beauty, a retreat for artists. Uh, If you know the name of that song and you get it right, the first person to get it right, in fact, the first three people, I'm upping it the first three people who writes to us through our our podcast normal channels to submit a question, send us the name of that song, first three people to get it right, I'm sending you a signed copy for free of that new book just because I feel like doing it. How about that?
1: That is an inspiration. That's awesome. And what updates do you have for us about the TOB Yes, we have
0: some. We're getting back on the road in February. We are going to be February 2nd. We're going to be in Rockledge, Florida, doing a made for more event. And on February 3rd, we're going to be in port St. Lucie, Florida, doing a made for more event. Those are evening events. You do need to have a ticket to go. You can usually get them at the door unless they've been sold out. Uh, sometimes they do sell out, uh, but probably not in COVID times. They haven't been uh, as many people attending, but we're getting back there back out on the road. If you know anybody who lives in that area or you live in that area, come check us out. Uh, And if you are a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute, and you want to learn more about the Made for More event, we have a filmed Made for More event available exclusively to our patron community. So check out the benefits, all the benefits you get in being a patron of the TOB Institute. And on that note, do we have our first question, which is always from a patron? Because one of the benefits you get in being a patron is you're in a much smaller pool For questions. For questions. Here you go. So a better chance that we'll get to your question.
1: This is a question from a patron named Grace. Hello, Grace. I recently listened to the episode of Restore the Glory podcast, in which Christopher was a guest. And it stirred up many questions within Mm. my own heart. I'm a young Catholic woman and was raised in a very good home. I thought I knew who I was and just whose I am but some difficult trials over the past few years have made me doubt. It is easy for me to extend grace to other people in my life and to extend mercy to them, knowing that the sin in their life comes from a place of being wounded. Mm. I can look at the addict and not condemn them, knowing that the addiction came from a wound of abuse or neglect. I see the prostitute and know she was sexually abused as a child. I see the affair and know the pain of being unloved by a spouse, and I do not blame them for their sin. I can say they are indeed loved by Christ. Their wounds and sin are closely intertwined, and so is his grace. It is not necessary for me to draw a line where the sin ends and where his grace begins. They are too closely related. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to myself and the sins, and not-so-pretty sins that I often seem to be stuck in, How can I even ask for his forgiveness? I came from a good home. I was not abused as a child, nor was I unloved. I feel as though attempting to claim some wound led me to some sin would only be my attempting to make myself feel better, and I don't want to do that. I do not want to use God's promises and mercy merely as a way of making myself feel better for what I've done.
0: Wow, Grace, you are a thinker. I really admire you for pressing in here, and I I think I'm getting a little bit of this kind of a strange expression, but the lay of the land in your heart to the extent that you are revealing it to us, and I feel honored that you would reveal this much of your heart to us. Let me see if this helps Grace. I'm going to offer some thoughts from this angle first, and then, Wendy, I'm sure you're going to have some thoughts for dear Grace as well. Um it is true you are you are correct Grace to recognize that our brokenness our woundedness from very difficult painful life experiences contribute to disordered acting out later in our lives however that is true uh, stand on that it's not put that aside but it's in addition to we have freedom, right? And, and sin, in the proper sense of the word, is a misuse of our freedom. In the modern world, we, we can have a tendency kind of to psychologize our sin, to, to blame it on certain situations. Well, if, if this person hadn't experienced that painful thing in his life, he wouldn't be acting this way. And there is a very real sense, just as you have outlined, Grace, that that is rightly leading you to compassion, to understanding, to patience, to mercy. So, yes, I want to affirm that. That is correct. But we can never entirely, or we should never entirely forget that sin, in the proper sense of the term, is a misuse of our freedom. So I want to say, on the one hand, the people you're so compassionate towards because of their broken, painful life experiences, which you have not had those many broken, painful experiences, or to that extent, Uh, you are are right to have that compassion because of that pain in their lives, but don't go too far in exonerating them or, or somehow failing to recognize that they too, they have freedom. On the other hand, where you're looking at yourself, Grace, it seems that you're saying, I don't have all those wounded experiences, so I'm merely misusing my freedom. Uh, That's a possibility. Uh, That is a possibility. And guess what? Mercy is for you, too. We don't have to have some psychological reason that helps us to kind of warm up to the idea of showing ourselves or someone else mercy uh, when we have misused our freedom. So that's certainly true. I want to hold that together with everything else I'm saying. But I also want to add this to the equation grace. And I, it seems to me I could be mistaken or maybe I'm mishearing you. It seems to me that having listened to that podcast, uh, Restore the Glory, I, I did a double episode with my dear friends Bob Schutz and Jake Kim. And uh, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to their podcast. You you should really just check them out, and if you want to hear the episodes that I was on, uh, we'll put a link to that. I think it was episode 42 and 43 that I did with them. Anyway, we'll we'll link you to those in the show notes. Um, But it seemed to me, Grace, that you might have been having a little realization that maybe there are wounds in your life that maybe you hadn't thought were there. Uh, Let me put it to you this way. From all appearances, if someone from the outside were to look at my upbringing, my parents stayed together. Um, I was raised in a home where we went to Mass on a regular basis. We had a wide-extended, loving uh, family—aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, grandparents— both grandparents on both sides of my family, my mom's and my dad's parents, stayed together. Uh, from, from all appearances on the outside, I had a very—and very, very and, and, and it's not only the appearance on the outside. I had a very good upbringing. But I, I want to hold this out to you, Grace. Your parents, like my parents, are not perfect. And your heart, Grace, like my heart, Grace, is made for perfect love. And every way that we don't experience perfect love in this life wounds us. Wounds come when we experience something contrary to what we are made for. And we are made for perfect love. So in a fallen world, there is no one who is not wounded. I don't care if you have the best parents in the whole wide world. There are wounds there because your parents are not perfect. And, and again, speaking from my own experience, in my adult life, and I shared this in the podcast, you'll remember this, Grace, from having heard it, I've had to go on an archaeological dig, and it's not something I could have discovered on my own. It's not something I could have dug into my own heart and said, oh, there's a painful place. Look at that. Let's take a look at that. These were things that only the Holy Spirit, through wise spiritual direction, could have shown me were at the root of ways that I behave as an adult that are not in keeping with my own dignity and the dignity of other people. And indeed, they have come from wounds in my life. So I just hold this out to you, Grace. I've said a lot. I want you to try to maybe even rewind the podcast and re-listen to what I've said and try to hold all that I've said in its proper togetherness. Uh, it's never an either-or in what I've just unfolded for you. It's always the both-and. So I, I I, believe, relatively speaking, to what other people go through, You, you had a beautiful, blessed childhood, but you didn't have a perfect childhood and that means there are wounds there. And those wounds, letting the Lord shine His light on those wounds, I do believe will be a bright light in helping you understand more clearly maybe some of these habits and patterns of sin in your life. There are roots to our brokenness. There are roots to our dysfunction. There are roots to our sinfulness. But even that, all that said— if in the end you recognize in yourself, wow, I've just really been using my freedom wrongly here, well, guess what? You're worthy of mercy too. Truly, you are worthy of mercy. Mercy is not granted only because there is a plausible or understandable explanation that kind of softens us up to the person and gives us compassion. Uh, Jesus knows very clearly whatever is going on going on in your heart, Grace, when you sin. And he is ready and willing to show you mercy regardless of where that sin is coming from. And we need to learn how to show ourselves that same kind of mercy. Wendy, what are your thoughts?
1: I'm so struck as you were by the insights that Grace shared that kind of to me are a sign of a reflective person who maybe, maybe even has it heard. Judgmental things being said, and and has a heart that's sensitive to that. That kind of puts herself in the shoes of another, and tries to imagine what the experience of that other is, and and not to have that harshness toward others. Um, yeah, that's and, a
0: grace for grace. Yeah, that she
1: has. That it is. It's a it's a beautiful gift uh, of compassion. Um, you know, some of the people that you're having this compassion for probably don't even understand their own suffering as well as you have been able to understand it so I think of you Grace as um, almost as called to an intercession for healing and I I feel like maybe that calling on your heart is in some ways under attack right now that um, that temptation that to believe that you, cannot receive mercy seems to be what's going on. And I think if you said that, if you wrote that down or, you know, submitted it to, you know, anybody for scrutiny, of course, you'd probably know yourself that doesn't make sense. But sometimes we feel things inside that don't make sense. And I, I can understand having that feeling of extra guilt. Well, why should I be forgiven? I'm I don't have the excuses that other people have and all of that that's going on. So I do think this is a a time of just deeper closeness to the Lord that you've had a certain degree of insight that has been so um, helpful to you and other people in your life. But there's another level that the Lord is calling you to, a deeper place in his heart that he wants you to find yourself where... You can see yourself more clearly in the sight of his love, his love for you that's unconditional.
0: And Grace, I would just add to that. If you hear an invitation from the Holy Spirit to do that archaeological dig in your own heart, be not afraid. Be not afraid. And I just hold this out as a caution to everybody. I I said it already, but I'll say it again. We, we, we need the Holy Spirit's guidance here. Don't go poking around in your own heart, in your own history, in your own wounds by yourself. As my spiritual director always says, go within with him and let him lead you. Be not afraid, dear Grace. You're in our prayers.
1: Our next question is from an anonymous listener. What does it mean to love someone? I understand the philosophical willing of the good of the other but i'm curious if you could clarify this for me i'm often under the impression that when i love someone it is really christ i'm loving in them the whole to love another person is to see the face of god Les from leavis fans unite yes <laughs> so am i really loving them or am i only loving the christ i see in them
0: wow i like this this anonymous questioner is putting his or her finger right on the mystery of what it means to be human. There's a line from the Second Vatican Council, the document is called Gaudium et Spes, Joy and Hope, and it's section 22, and I had a professor, my dear, beloved Professor and mentor, the late Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete, who said, "If the Pope mobile, he was talking about John Paul II. If John Paul II's Pope mobile had a vanity plate, it would be GS22. Got him it Spes22 because John Paul II quoted from this almost in every official document. You'll find this quote from John Paul II, and it is this: Jesus Christ." through the revelation of the mystery of the Father and His love, fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. Why am I bringing this up? Christ reveals the truth about every human being, and in what way? Not only in a kind of distant way, like, hey, everybody, look at me, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're supposed to look like, Uh, so why don't you get your act together and become more like me? Right? We, We have this idea of, or put it this way, when we have an incorrect idea of imitating Christ, Christ is kind of a distant figure. We look at him, and we try to do what he did, and we all fail, right? But imitation of Christ is not external. Truly, imitating Christ, is not, I'm looking over him, he's the pattern, I'm going to try to repeat it. It's intimacy with Jesus. And so in that document, Gaudium Spes, section 22, it says, Jesus Christ, in a way, has united himself with every human being. Now the in a way is a qualifier to distinguish between the baptized and the unbaptized. I'm going to speak just for the sake of simplicity right now, about the baptized. Jesus, in a way, has united himself through the Incarnation with every human being. But in baptism, our intimacy with Jesus, our union with Jesus, is so profound that St. Augustine says, and this is quoted right in the Catechism, you are not only Christians, you are Christ. What? The intimacy that we have with Jesus is so profound really and truly, the two become one, right? We become one in the flesh with Jesus, to the point that St. Paul says we are one body with Jesus. In Ephesians 5, uh, St. Paul unfolds this idea that in this one body, Christ is the head and the Church is the body. We are so one with Jesus. We are not only followers of Christ, we are other Christ's. I have a, a dear priest, he's in his 90s, I've been going to him for to on retreats for for many years, and when I first started going to retreats with him, he was bugging me. He was bugging me because he kept saying, I'd share a painful experience of my life, or I'd share something uh, I was going through, and, and he would say, that's Jesus' experience. And I said, well, Monsignor, it's, it's my experience. He says, you are Jesus. And I was like, well, only sort of, kind of. I mean, I, I, yeah, I know my theology here, mystical body of Jesus Christ and all that stuff. I get it. I get it. He said, you are Jesus. Stop trying to theologize it. Just accept it. You are Jesus. And he bugged me to the point that I said, okay, I got I to do my, my theological research here to see if I can believe what this guy's really saying. He kept saying it over and over. You are Jesus. You are Jesus. And there it is right in the catechism. We're so united with Jesus. As Christians, we're not only Christians; we are Christ. What does this mean? In answer to this question, it means that you shouldn't be making that that the, the question itself. You you you're trying. It seems to me anyway. You're trying to wrestle and holding this all together. That in loving the other person, am I loving Christ in that other person, or am I loving that other person? Guess what? Loving Christ in that other person is loving that other person because that other person is Christ. That's the profundity of Jesus uniting himself with our humanity. It's lived out fully in baptism, but even those who are not yet baptized in and through the incarnation, there is some kind of union already with Jesus. Uh, Distinctions need to be made here. I'm trying to be careful as a theologian to make those distinctions, but it really is true. Uh, And back to your question, what is love? Uh, This is love, St. John tells us not that we have loved God, or, or we could also add that we've loved anybody else, but that God has loved us. That means our love is only really and truly love, the real thing, in as much as we are sharing with others what we have already received from God this is love, not that we have loved God or loved anybody else, but that God has loved us. All we can ever really say to God, and I'm sure I've shared this on previous podcasts, is, God, I love you too. That puts His love first. That puts us in a posture first of receiving love, because we cannot give what we do not have. And before Jesus gives us the the new commandment to love, as he loves, he says this, remain in my love. And the reason he says that is because you're not going to be able, none of us are going to be able to show that kind of love if we haven't first received it. And here Jesus himself says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Jesus himself, as a person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, he's not the origin of the love that is in God. The Father is the origin of that love, and Jesus is in a posture eternally of receiving that love. And having eternally received that love, he's able to return that love, and that love that the Father and the Son are giving and receiving eternally is the person of the Holy Spirit. So what is love? Love is the person of the Holy Spirit, eternally exchanged between the Father and the Son. And the Christian mystery is that we get to share in that same spirit of love. And that means learning how to open our broken, wounded, pained, and shamed, and sinful humanity to the God who loves us just as we are, letting that love come in To transform us into who we are meant to be, and who we are meant to be, we are meant to be creatures who love as God loves, because we've opened so fully to that love that it flows right out of us. Uh, Wendy, I know you're going to have a much more kind of down-to-earth answer, (laughs) which is critical here, because I just theologized the answer, and I don't want to undermine that. Theology is very important, yeah, but it needs to be also applied in real time. Mm. So I think that's your gift. So <laughs> I'm going to sit back and receive your gift.
1: One of the things about this question it just begins, what does it mean to love? And I remember a specific encounter with God's love that just opened my Eyes and my heart so much. I had read in the scripture where, in in the gospel, where it says that Jesus knows what's in the hearts of human beings. I think it says in the hearts of men, but it means all of us. And I had read that line in the scripture and I always took it in a negative way without knowing why. It was my instinct oh, Jesus knows. Yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, like you have secrets and he yeah. knows. Which is
0: partly what's being said, <laughs> but there's well, more. But
1: the way I received it was almost like what's in my heart is uh, bad news. Uh, and um, I read in John Paul II's writings where he quoted that scripture and said nothing about Jesus knowing the bad inside us, but instead Jesus knows what's in our hearts. Mm-hmm. He knows the good, mm-hmm. the deep goodness of every human being. Mm. And I think that to love being, yes, there is the call to action, as you spoke of in your question, the willing, the good of the other. But there's also that need to delight mm. in goodness mm. that is love, that desire to be close to that, which is good because it delights us. And when we experience that in other human beings, we experience a joy of loving and delighting Woo. that is because the goodness is already there. <laughs> doesn't need to be, you know, stri- striven for, if that's a word. <laughs> um, We don't have to strive for it. We have to recognize it and delight in it. So I think that's, That's part of the seeing Christ, seeing the good he put there, he knows is there, but it's that person that he made and dwells in, all of that goodness and delighting in it is is love. Awesome. The the call then to recognize when we, you sometimes use the word appropriate, which meaning kind of saying, well, you may... Correct me in how I understand you saying this, but I take it as a sort of um I want this for myself because it pleases me and kind of holding on to it tightly or becoming in our inner attitude, sort of without even realizing it, we start to be using the goodness of others for our own yes. delight in a way that's no longer a something that unites us, but almost kind of diminishes the other and for our own sake or something. So these are really subtle realities, but that sense of being called by the love we receive from the Father to continually honor the other as gift and we receive whatever we are given to delight in, but we also desire the good of the other for his or her own sake, just as God does for us. That's beautiful and profound and not always easy. We we have to be continually called to repentance in this area of failing to love. None of us should think of ourselves as perfect at loving. Mothers are not perfect at loving their children, even though we have Mother's Day where we sing the praises of all the sacrifices of mothers or, mm. you know, it's, I'm a mother and I love my children, but not perfectly. Um, and yet I have tasted that delight in the other. That is that spring from which all the other challenges and sacrifices and um, just all the need for the gifts of the holy spirit in our relationships it taps into that spring of that delight
0: you're tapping into my spring wendy i am just i can attest as the man who is blessed to be your husband that that's the way you love you you see the good in others and you are delighted by it and you have helped me to see the good in me that I didn't, I have often doubted is even there. Uh, we, we live in a world where the basic message is, you are only lovable if, if you fit into this category, or if you can accomplish this, or if you look this way, or if you can arouse the, the lust of other people. I mean, fill in the blank. We get this message constantly, you are lovable if, and the underlying message there really is, you're not lovable. And we can we can take that on, that message gets in there. And I would say in 26 years of being married to you, that the life lesson is realizing that lie, the lie that the world told me, and it came through other human beings, that I'm not lovable as, as I am. But I have I have seen you rejoicing in good that you see in me. And oftentimes that good has been buried. Uh, Here's an image from Pope Francis. He says, the goodness is oftentimes buried like an ember under the ash. Mm. That's still in there, but it's buried. I remember years ago when you and I were going through some really tough stuff. And you said to me, that you knew this was coming when we were engaged, like you saw these patterns in me already when we were engaged and you knew you were in for a rough ride, in some respects, being my wife. And I said to you, if you knew this, why did you still marry me? And you said, because I also saw the good. And I knew that eventually we'd be able to have conversations like this, in which we would look at this together and you are, an honest person who would someday be ready and willing to really look at this. And that long-suffering that you expressed there in seeing the goodness in me, even though it was buried under a lot of ash, and that ash ended up causing you pain, your willingness, that long-suffering in delighting in that good, that really is the way God loves, that really is love. That really is what it means to love. It is the ability to see in others their goodness, even when it's buried, and to take delight in it, and even to call it out, uh, to pray it out, to, to be standing before God, interceding for that person, so that that person's goodness will shine it really is a sharing in God's looking at what he made and said, behold, it is very good. That's God taking delight in his creature. And that's Jesus, that scripture that you started with, he knows what is in the heart of man. Even what is twisted up, well, guess what? Our sin is something that is good, that got twisted up. And Jesus is able to see, even where we're twisted up, he's able to see the good thing that got twisted up. That's love that's the ability, the ability to love and I know you've done that for me and I am I am eternally grateful mm. truly like literally for eternity I will be sharing with you Wendy my gratitude mm. thank you
1: thank you that's awesome that's what we're called to it is you've taught me I'm a blessed man here's another question from an anonymous listener what is the difference between lust and and admiration. I'm often inclined to let my eyes linger at beautiful smiles. I feel excited by their joy, and it's hard to take my eyes away. Hmm. What is
0: that? That's beautiful. That's what that is. I think, Wendy, something you said in the previous answer is, is pertinent here, where you were talking about not appropriating the other in a selfish way but I don't sense that in what this person is saying at all. Um, A a lustful thing would be an appropriation of the other's beauty in which you're delighting towards a self-gratifying end, right? This titillates me. Therefore I'm going to appropriate that other person's beauty for myself. I don't sense that that's what's going on here at all. When you are, delighting in another person's smile and wanting to linger there. Now, of course, there's a social propriety where you don't want to just be staring right at somebody's face for an extended time. That could get awkward and socially weird. But to recognize in another person's smile the revelation of the beauty of that person, it's very natural to want to linger there and appreciate it more. Uh, so I just say, keep your heart in the light, and rejoice, and uh, don't go in the social awkward direction, but, but take that as a little taste, even here and now, of what awaits us on the other side in the communion of the saints. In the communion of the saints, we will forever rejoice in the unique, unrepeatable beauty of the other forever. Can't wait and you know what else I can't wait for, or, or as part of this, what I can't wait for, is that I'm going to be delighting in the smile on this questioner's face So oh, true. from the delight that that person, that questioner is taking in the smiles of others. And then others are going to be taking delight in my smile that I'm getting from this person's smile who's smiling because he's looking at somebody else's smile. And this will go on infinitely. Can't wait.
1: Oh, that's a happy thought. Yeah. Yeah. They call it the blessed
0: vision. Yeah. (laughs) And let us remember the blessed vision includes, it's not just this one-on-one vision of God. We do have our own unique and unrepeatable relationship with God forever and ever, but it extends to the whole communion of saints. Everyone will have a unique, unrepeatable relationship with everyone else forever. Astounding. Can't wait And I can't wait. I can't wait, Wendy. In light of what I was sharing earlier about how I've known the way you love me, I can't wait for other people to know the way you love. Uh, That's going to be one of the great joys of heaven for me is is seeing other people rejoice in being loved by you. Mm. That'll be really special to me.
1: Thanks, love. Uh (laughs)
0: Uh-huh. What do you want to share about this smiling question? Anything?
1: I love this sentence. I feel excited by their joy and it is hard to take my eyes yeah. away. That's so beautiful. There's something sort of childlike about yeah. it that become like little children is in my heart in the sense of just acknowledging and taking the time to notice the great blessing of the smile of another human being, because how you know, how often are we preoccupied with worries or self-consciousness or, um, you know, inferiority complexes, yeah. <laughs> you know, that we resent somebody's beautiful smile thinking, oh, but I'm not that beautiful. All those distracting thoughts that keep us receive- from receiving the gift uh, of just the joy of a smile. Now, thank you for sharing that question and I feel just just as inclined as you are Christopher to say there's there's nothing to be concerned about that even that desire to um you know linger on that gift is there's nothing you know negative about that to be concerned about
0: yeah trust your heart there yeah. you're in holy sacred territory there mm-hmm. speaking of smiles if this episode made you smile or gave you a particular insight, I know you know somebody who needs that smile or insight as well. Think of somebody right now who needs to hear this episode and click that share button and help us to reach an ever wider audience with this podcast. We love doing this podcast. Uh, We love getting your feedback. We love getting your questions. Keep them coming. Till next time, again, in the words of John Paul II, You are indispensable. You are irreplaceable. You
1: are unrepeatable. Become what you are.
0: Ask Christopher West is brought to you by The Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.